right, so we are continuing today in our series on heaven, and actually this is week three of, of our, our six-week series, so today we, we kind of reach the halfway point as we finish up today uh, of where we're at, and uh, just by way of quick refresher, uh, we have talked so far about uh, what happens when we die. Because that's a question a lot of people have is currently, like right now, or our loved ones that have passed on before us. What happens uh, when we die? And so we talked about that week one. Um, and uh, spoiler, it's awesome. Um, being with God is cool. All right. Uh, but we know that's temporary. Okay. Uh, because one of the things that scripture clearly teaches us is that there is a point in time uh, where God then makes everything new. And we talked about that last week with the new earth. Okay, that happens at the culmination of all things. We read about it in Revelation 21. Uh, when, when all sin is conquered and, and Satan has been put down forever, death and destruction is no more. There'll be no more, no more tears, at least no more tears of sadness. Some of you cry when you're happy. Vikings fans? <laughs> who, who cried a little bit at the end of that game in a good way? Saints fans, who cried the other way? Right, that's the, that's the way, I mean, we think, oh, it's, but no. Like, like, everything is going to be good on the new earth, okay? Uh, in fact, it's going to be a lot more exciting than we think it's going to be. It's one of the things we've been talk about, talking about in the series is it's not boring, uh, but things are going to be exciting and there's going to be adventure. And today we talk specifically about what we will be like. Because this is all we know. Some of you, your body has never let you down. Some of you are in good physical condition. You've never suffered any serious ailments. Uh, you've never been seriously sick. Your body has just been strong, and it's not let you down. And I have bad news for you. It will. Some of you are like me, and you've never really been able to make your body do what it was designed to do. Like, it's just never really worked for me. Uh, some of you, your body is just racked with pain. For some of you, it's not just the physical, it's, it's the, the emotional. Some of you have just never been able to regulate your emotions. As hard as you try, as much as you want to, uh, as, as, much, as many times as you've seen the counselor or you've, you've tried different medications or whatever it is, you've never been able to regulate your emotions. You just can't seem to get it right. Now, for some of you, it's your mind. Or maybe for some of those that, that, that you know, your loved ones, you know, with, with dementia starts to, to creep in and things start to change and nothing is the way that you want it to be and they can't process and remember the way that we are intended to do. Listen, these bodies are temporary, and God has promised something grand, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at what our resurrection bodies are going to be like, but there's a couple things I need you to know as we jump in here with resurrection bodies, and the first one is simply this. Your resurrection body is a physical body. Now, I feel like we've talked about this a couple of times during the last couple of weeks, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. You will be you physically 
for eternity. Okay, remember we have this, this disconnect sometimes where we start to think that things that are physical, things that are material in nature are bad, and things that are immaterial or spiritual are good. But remember in Genesis, God creates physical. He is the author of the physical world, the material world, and he's the one that deems that it's very good. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just broken. And so there is going to be a moment where God fixes that, and you will be physically you in the new heaven and the new earth. So, so here's the thing I need you to know. I will be in heaven. I will be Matt Hance without the bad parts forever. Okay, some of you um, are thinking uh, that can't be heaven if you're Matt Hance forever. But without the bad parts, you will be you without the bad parts, forever. That's how, that's how this works. And, and so I want you to wrap your head around that uh, and, and, and kind of move away from this idea of um, this ethereal um, spirit kind of a thing. Anybody watch the movie 2010, Space Odyssey? Okay. Uh, David Bowman, um, at some point in time, is gone, and there is a spirit that looks like David Bowman, and they ask him, who are you? And he's like, well, I was David Bowman. Now I'm something different. And whether we want to imagine it or say it or not, that's when we think about heaven, that's kind of what we think. We think, well, I, I will be somebody that was Matt Hance, but, but it'll be different. Now, here, here's what I'm going to say. I will be Matt Hance forever in heaven without the bad parts, but I will be me. I will be everything I was intended to be. And the other thing about that is... is um, that in case you're curious, I just want to show you a couple things. Some of you, even though we've talked about it, we, we've looked at some verses that talk about this, you're still predisposed to think, no, 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 we're not physical. Yes, yes, we are. Look at this. Luke 24, 39 says this. Look at my hands. This is Jesus talking after he's been uh, resurrected. Look at my hands, my feet. You can see, you can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Uh, and, and when we look at that Greek word, bodies, we're talking about physical structure, the idea of flesh, okay? And so what he's saying there, Jesus, post-resurrection is like, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. You can see that I'm really me if you just put your hands on me, okay? And, and, and then some of you are going to say, well, yeah, but that's just Jesus. Well, now look what Job says, um, in Job 19, he says, and after my body has decayed, Job recognizes that he's going to die and that his body is going to decay. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. We all, as Christians, if we are following Jesus, every single one of us will be physically resurrected. You will have a physical body. And that should be good news for you. Some of you, you're thinking, oh, I don't know, but it's going to be different than you think. Okay, so track with us as we go here, and you're going to see uh, that this is really going to be a good thing for us. But first, we've got to talk about how it works. Paul's the one that writes the most about this, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, so we're going to break this text apart. It's a quite a lengthy one, but we're going to look at it in, in large chunks uh, and see what happens here. But, uh, and we're actually going to go all the way back to verse 35 and go all the way up to verse 58. But um, we're going to take it out of sequence here just a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15 here, starting in verse 46. Adam, the first man, 
was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Now, now he's not putting them in chronological order um, of all people, all time. But what we read pretty clearly in the New Testament is that um, Adam was the first man. We, we know that. We read that in Genesis. And that Christ comes, Jesus comes, as a second Adam. So everything that Adam jacked up at the beginning, everything he messed up, Jesus comes to set right. Jesus is the fixer. He's the guy that's coming to set everything the way that it's supposed to be. Okay? So Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth. We read about that in Genesis. Uh, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. We read about that in the Gospels, okay? the Christmas story. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. So this is not overly complicated. Uh, sometimes we make it complicated because we're not sure what it means exactly and how it's going to work out, but it's not complicated. Here's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, look, Adam was made from dust, okay? That was one kind of body. Christ, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and not only that, but resurrected, came from heaven, different kind of body. All of us, okay, all of us are like the earthly man. We're like Adam. We're made from dust. That's why at funerals we say that fancy thing, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? Because we all die, we all decay, that happens. But for Christians, just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. We will have this resurrection that'll happen. We keep going. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The dying bodies cannot inherit that which will last forever. And so this is the point. The reason that's so important for you, the reason that holds such critical information is because, and this is where we started here. We touched on this at the beginning. Some of you know it all too well. Some of you haven't figured it out yet. But here's the reality. Your body will let you down. And so when we think about being in heaven forever, in this perfection, what will it be like? Paul makes a very clear statement. He draws a line in the sand that says this, what you're used to, your limitations, your frailties, the short-term nature of your life and everything that comes with it, what you're used to it, that will never inherit the kingdom of God because that which is dying can't inherit that which will last forever, okay? And we read that as like this scary statement, like, oh, okay, well, that's... But no, 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 this is meant to be something positive. This is meant to be encouraging. This is meant to be something overwhelmingly awesome for you because what he's saying is everything that's wrong with you will stop being wrong with you. Everything that's bad will stop being part of who you are. You'll be you forever in heaven without the bad parts because those bad parts won't make it through the door. They can't make it through the door because anything dying and decaying cannot inherit something that will live forever. It just can't be. So whatever is wrong won't be wrong for eternity. Whatever is right and good you'll have in spades for eternity. See, this is the way 
that it works. And he makes this very clear line. Okay, we keep going. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret, right? What's, what's perishing can't inherit eternal. But let me reveal you, to you a wonderful secret. Well, won't all die, but we will all be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And so this is this thing that Paul talks about here where there is going to be this great exchange where at one point in time, at some point in the future, when God is ready, when Christ returns and Christ conquers and everything is fixed and there's the new heavens and the new earth that come down and the old earth have passed away and everything is the way it was supposed to be, there will be this grand exchange where your dying, perishable body will be literally, that word transformed is a literal word for transformed, into something new. But here's what I want you to know about that. That transformation, see... When I say transform, how many of you think about transformers? Come on, be honest. Okay, right? Reese is with me at least. But, but so I'm one thing that transforms. I'm the same thing. I just take on a different shape. That's not what this means though. This word transform, it's, it's at the cellular level. It's down at the DNA level. You're you. You're you. You're coded in your DNA. That's unique to you. It's who you are. Okay? But at that level... You're transformed into something that will never fade. It should be comforting. And we keep going, and it says, For sting, I'm sorry, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And so he wraps up this chunk of scripture saying, so the reason this all happens, the reason this is all necessary, the reason that it can happen is because sin is the sting that results in death. But there will be a future time when thanks to Jesus, sin will have no place, sin will have no way into the world. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. There's Here's something that'll blow your mind. Can you even sin in heaven? Do you even want to? What's that about? Can you really have free will and never sin? Adam and Eve lived in perfection. So we can't say, well, yeah, but the world will be perfect, and so we won't want to. Well, the world was perfect for Adam and Eve, and they wanted to. Things were perfect for Satan, and he fell. We'll get there. It'll be fun. But for me, anyway. Um, But sin will have no power. Because of the cross, sin will not have a place. And so everything that causes that decay will be gone forever. And that's where we'll say, oh, sin, or oh, death, where is your sting? Where's your victory? And then Paul finishes this chunk with this grand, st- this grand statement. I want to park here for just a second. He says, and so, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong be immovable. Being immovable means not being pushed out of the way. Think, um, well, it's, 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 you know, playoff football, okay? So, so think goal line stand. Be immovable. Let nobody knock you off your block. Stay solid. Be strong, brothers and sisters. Be immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord because you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And so what Paul's saying here, and this is something, one of the reasons, by the way, that we're having this series, if you didn't know this, is because we mentioned something in the I Am series that kind of floored some people when we started talking about rewards in heaven. 
and it was like, what in the world are we talking about? We're going to get there before this series is out, I promise you. It's actually week five of the series when we start talking about what our daily life will be like in heaven and what those rewards mean and how that works and all of this. But there's something there that talks about that. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. It counts for you in some way, shape, or form. But there's also this that I want you to understand about that text. We take this all in context, and it says, okay, so there's an earthly body and there's a heavenly body. You have an earthly body, but it's okay. It's going to be transformed because sin will be defeated. At some point in time, God will transform you into a heavenly body, and you will inherit the kingdom of God, and you will live forever in a perfect body. That's the way God has designed this to work. So therefore, spend this one for all it's worth. When I, when I read what Paul says there, that's what I'm taking away from that. So therefore, be strong, be immovable, work enthusiastically. Don't save any of it for later. Because it can't go with you anyway. There is nothing about this body that needs to make it into eternity. There is nothing that I'm going to need to take with me. Everything is going to be fixed. Everything is going to be transformed. And so I am supposed to pour this out for the sake of the gospel. Most of us here, we really like to play it safe. And there's no call for it. Be strong, be immovable, work hard, pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel. If, if you get to the finish line of this earth and your body is worthless because you have poured it out for the grace of God, ministering for the sake of other people, then guess what? That counts for you. That's not wasted. That's a good thing. And you don't need it anyway. My encouragement to you as we, as we park here for just one second, and, and, and we'll move on to what those bodies will be like and what we can know and, and, and what we can guess about. But here's the thing I need you to understand. The whole reason we talk about this, the whole reason we have this conversation, the whole reason we're focused so much on heaven is so that we can get excited about heaven so that we can know what it's going to be like. Not so that we can sit back and, and kind of daydream about what heaven will be like and, oh, it's going to be awesome. But it's so that you can spend yourself now with confidence about what's next. If there is one thing I could get you to do, it would be to stop playing it safe. To risk everything for the sake of the gospel. And I know that's a little hard to process here in this relatively safe culture. If I were talking somewhere else in the world uh, where you would be putting your life on the line, sharing the gospel with somebody else, that would make more sense. But that doesn't mean you get to sit that mandate out. That almost means that you need to work harder so that you can risk for the sake of the gospel. This is how it works, okay? All right, we continue. So, so... We know this is true, uh, that we'll be given these new bottles, uh, bottles, I don't even know what that means. We'll be given these new bodies, okay? And so a lot of you are asking the question, well, how will it work? How does it work? Raise your hand if you're asking yourself, Matt, how will this work? Okay, well, Paul's going to chastise you in a second, so put your hand down. <laughs> don't admit it, because here's what he says. But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? And Paul says, what a foolish ridiculous, you know the word foolish there? Okay. Asinine. Stupid. Dumb. Worthless. Question. That's what it means. If you, if you look at that language, that's what that word means. That, the word means that it has no business being asked. 
Okay, it has no business being asked because it's outside of our pay grade. Okay, it's not something that we can do. You know, people have been trying to create life for a long time. We've got hadron colliders. We've got things. People have been experimenting. People have been trying to create life where there is no life for a long time. It can't work. We've got great pieces of fiction. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is my favorite, where, where we are all about trying to create life where there is none. Why? Because it intrigues us. We want to know how. How does God do that? How is it going to work? But, but Paul says, that is a ridiculously foolish question. When you put a seed in the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. This is, he's going to give us this. He's like, that's a ridiculous question. Let me just give you this little snippet. When you put a seed in the ground, it has to die before it produces something. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that you get. Right? It's not the plant that will go, uh, grow, but only a bare seed. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. Okay? And so there's this idea that a seed gets put in the ground. The seed that, that, that does something, I mean, it doesn't look anything like the plant that sprouts. You think about an acorn. It looks nothing like the tree. Think about an apple seed. It looks nothing like the tree. You, you think about a kernel of corn, looks nothing like the stalks that grow. And this is Paul's point here. He says, don't you know that what you put in the ground dies and then new life comes from it? And the new life doesn't necessarily look anything like the old life, but something happens. And he says, this is a metaphor for what it's going to be with your bodies. We're going to put your bodies down. Your bodies will go down and then God will, when it's time, transform them into something entirely new. Still you, but something entirely new. We'll talk about how that works. Okay, and we'll finish this up. And it says, in the same way with the resurrection of the dead, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. So this is how God has designed the resurrection. This, you have an earthly body. It's broken in sin. It can never inherit what will last forever. But thanks be to God, sin has been destroyed. You'll be given a new body. How will it work? Well, you'll die, okay, um, which is akin to a seed going in the ground. And when God is ready and it's good timing, something brand new will come from it. Something restored, something changed. That's how it works. And some of you are reading that, and, and there's a couple of questions that we've had thrown in the box um, about uh, cremation. And some of you are very concerned about cremation, and I get it, because I read this, this comment, our bodies are buried in brokenness, and they'll be raised in glory. And so we start to wonder, well, if I'm cremated, am I doing it wrong? Right? Because if I'm cremated, you're not burying me. So there's almost as if there's nothing there to be raised in glory. And I, here's the thing, I get that question. That question makes sense to me, okay? Because I'm literally reading this and I'm trying to understand. Here's the deal. There are good, smart people, um, people that I trust, people that I sit under their teaching, people that I listen to, that will answer that question two different ways. Okay, so I don't mean to tell you definitively that Matt Hans knows the answer to this. Okay, what I'm going to tell you it definitively is Matt Hans feels comfortable with this, okay? Uh, 
I can't believe that it matters. I can't believe that cremation matters. Okay? Because God is going, first of all, God took dust, dust, dirt, and he formed Adam. God sent the Holy Spirit um, upon Mary, and she became pregnant. God, God's got this figured out. Okay? God doesn't need my corpse to figure out how to make my new resurrection body. Okay? If you're not comfortable with cremation, then don't. Okay? This is one of those matters of conscience. If you're thinking, I'm just not sure that's good, I'm not sure it's right, I, okay, then don't do it. I'm comfortable with it because I'm not sure it matters. And so I'm not bound by that restriction. Okay? But what I would tell you here is this is a matter of deciding what you think is right and going ahead because I, this isn't a matter of sin. Okay? And I know some people have viewed this as a matter of sin. That's why I want to linger here a little bit. Okay? I'll say this. Moses, in a resurrection body, appears with Elijah to Jesus. The disciples witness it. Right? It's, it's this, this transformational moment in ministry. And the disciples don't quite get Peter, John, and James. They don't quite understand. But you've got Moses and Elijah, and you've got Jesus, and they're all talking. And, and, and you get that they're, they're glowing. It's this resurrection body moment where we get a picture of what it looks like. That's 1,430 years after Moses has died and buried. There's not much left of him after 1,430 years. He wasn't cremated, he was buried, but there's nothing left of him after 1,400 years. Okay? God's not limited by the pieces that he has to work with. Okay? So again, I know some of you have, have wondered that question and, and have asked that, and I wish I could give you a more definitive answer. Um, you're not going to read any biblical um, account of someone being cremated. It doesn't make it sinful. Um, it's just not part of the practice that, that we have recorded. Uh, somebody's incinerated in an explosion or something, and now we're just getting graphic, but somebody's incinerated in an explosion or something like that. It's not like God's like, oh man, I wanted to get them a resurrection body. <sighs> but that's how they went. My hands are tied. Okay. So it's just not something that, that I, I think we have to fear, okay? Uh, but again, it's a matter of conscience. Follow your conscience on that. All right. So there's more questions. Let's get into these. Um, a lot of, a lot of the, the thing that, that people wonder is, and I, I feel like we've covered this a lot, but I want to I make sure we answer it as clearly as we can because people are curious, uh, but they want to know what makes us us? Does that come with us to heaven? And so I want to say clearly, Yes. Scripture is clear. Look, your memories, your personality traits, your gifts, your passions, your preferences, right? And your interests, those things won't disappear at the resurrection. But what will happen in the final resurrection is all of the facets that are truly you, that are how God designed you to be before sin and decay and, and jealousy and greed and all of those things, before they started to mess with you, all of that will be restored and amplified and untarnished. So I want you to wrap your head around what I'm about to tell you. So for eternity in heaven, you will be more you than you've ever been. Like we ask the question, will we still be ourselves? Yes, and then some. You will be more you than you've ever been. 
because everything about you, your passions, your interests, your desires, everything that burns in you, everything that gives your life meaning and purpose, everything good that will be amplified for all of eternity. Okay? Will we be beautiful? Yes. Will you be perfect? Yes. Scripture tells us now in these earthly decaying bodies, Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully, wonderfully made, intimately knit together by the God of the universe. Will you be beautiful and perfect for all of eternity? Sure you will. Does that mean what you think it means? Probably not. Okay? Um, You know, like every culture... Uh, throughout history has had its own idea of what beauty looks like. And so uh, what you're asking is, is, will I be beautiful? Well, you're thinking about your very specific context, not all throughout history context. And, and in our minds, when we say, will I be beautiful? We've decided that there's a certain height, weight, shape. That's what's beautiful. Okay. Uh, but when we get to heaven, we're not all going to look exactly alike. We're not all going to be the exact same height, the exact same weight. Okay? Some of you are thinking that very muscular is attractive. We're not all going to be like Jack, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay? That's not necessarily what it means to be beautiful and perfect. Okay? In some cultures, elongated necks are beautiful. Lip discs, you know what I'm talking about, like those things that stick your lip out this far. In some cultures, those are beautiful. Tattoos and piercings. Some of you here would say, yes, those enhance beauty. Some of you here would say, oh my goodness, no, please. Some of, some of us in this culture, we've been discipled to believe, and it, it makes my heart break for our women. We've been discipled to believe that rail thin is beautiful. This is the only cult- culture in the world that's ever believed that. And so... We wrestle with this. Well, what will we look like? And here's what I can say for sure. We'll be perfect. We'll be beautiful. I don't know exactly what that means. I think we'll all have different sizes, shapes, heights, weights. But we'll all be perfect and we'll all be beautiful. Uh, St. Augustine wrote that what would happen in heaven is that we will all grow to our appropriate size that we would have grown to, what our body aches to be if it weren't living in our decayed nature. And he says, so you won't have to worry about being emaciated. You don't have to worry about being too small, right? Because your body will grow to its size that it was intended to be. You won't have to worry about growing too large um, because, well, your body will grow to the size it was intended to be. But here's what I know. When, When most people ask me, Will I be beautiful and perfect in heaven? What they're asking for, when people strive to be beautiful here, what they're longing for, I'm confident in this. As as a counselor and a pastor, I can tell you this is true unequivocally. When people strive for beauty, what they're striving for is acceptance. They're striving to be accepted. They're striving to not look at themselves and wish and long for something else. And I can promise you that that unequivocally will be true for all of eternity, no matter what you will look like. Here's what I can tell you. Scripturally speaking, no qualms about it. This isn't a Matt thinks, this is a fact. No matter what you look like, your bodies will please the Lord, they'll please yourself, and they'll please others. And so you'll never gaze into a mirror 
wishing for a different fill in the blank. You'll never want a new nose. You'll never hate your complexion. You'll never wish you had somebody else's chin. You'll never think plastic surgery is in need to fix an area that's deficient. You'll never have that desire. You won't feel insecure and you won't feel arrogant. That's the promise of your resurrection body. It will be beautiful and perfect, and I can't tell you exactly what that means, but you'll have no issues. Okay, we continue. People ask about age. Uh, we'll get to Isaiah in a second. Uh, we're just going to talk about how old you'll be in heaven. Here's what I don't know. How old you'll be in heaven? Scripture does not tell us when you go to heaven, this is how old you'll be. Matt thinks that we can make some pretty logical assumptions. So we can start with what God did in the garden. God creates Adam and Eve. Um, in his image, he creates them and he says, it's very good. And so we can assume we know he didn't create them as infants. He didn't make them babies. He didn't uh, create them as, as, well, I mean, we don't know. I'm assuming they weren't teenagers because that's never very good. I'm kidding. Anyway, you know, if you had to guess, I've always in my mind pictured Adam and Eve in the garden to be like 27. Because you know why that is? Because I feel like that was the last time that my body was at least somewhat under control. So I've always pictured them to be about that age, okay? But for some reason, God, God created them at a certain age. And so we could speculate, we could start there, and it'd be a pretty decent guess that that's the age we'll be in heaven, whatever that was. I think science has an answer for us too. When you consider Psalm 139, again, tells us that you are knit together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And part of how you are fearfully and wonderfully made is with something called DNA, uniquely coded to you, uniquely coded to life for human beings, yes, and then uniquely coded for your individual makeup. And in DNA, you can, you know, you can do your own checking to make sure I'm not telling you something that's not true, but in your own DNA, okay, there is an optimal physical period. I'm not talking emotional, I'm not talking mental, I'm not talking um, maturity or anything like that, I'm talking about physical. There's an optimal physical point where you are at your peak physical nature, and then it starts to decline, okay? Um, somewhere, okay, uh, between your late 20s and your early 30s. And so I think based on where God creates Adam and Eve, at least we can speculate, and then based on what happens with your DNA, some of you that are in your late 20s to early 30s are feeling pretty good about yourselves right now. Some of us that are, are 41 are like, man, it's all downhill from here. It's okay because eternity is going to be awesome. Eternity is going to be good. Okay? But here's the deal. Based on where God creates Adam and Eve and, and based on this idea that, um, that there is this optimal physical peak in your DNA, seems to be appropriate for us to guess that that will be the age that you'll be in heaven. I can't tell you for sure. Okay? Um, but there's a caveat. And the caveat is children. Unfortunately, in our broken world, children die. Thankfully, it doesn't happen often. 
Unfortunately, it happens often enough. And so the question is, will our children that die, that are in heaven, will they automatically be that age in heaven? When the new earth comes, I'm not talking about the intermediate heaven, I'm talking about when they are physically resurrected, what age will they be? Okay? I don't know that for sure. Again, Scripture doesn't say, except here's what it does tell us in Isaiah 11. That's why I put this text up there. Isaiah 11, 6 through 8, clearly talking about the new heaven and the new earth, says this. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. Okay, that, that doesn't help us here. Uh, the leopard will lie down with the baby goat. Yeah, whatever. Uh, the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. Okay, that's fine. But then here's where it gets confusing. And a little child will lead them all. It's not a metaphorical little child. We read that as a little child will lead them. Like, like he will be safe. The, the whole context of this is these animals will be safe and happy together and a little child will lead the wolf and the leopard and the lion and it'll be fine. And then he goes on and he says, and the baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. And so in context, we read that. Again, very clearly talking about the new earth. We read about a child and a baby, and we're like, okay, well, if all of us are at this optimal age, what's with the child and the baby? We know that we don't have children in heaven. It doesn't work that way. Uh, we'll talk about our relationships next week, and we'll see how that all plays out, but where do they come from? And so um, I think it's fair, again, Matt thinks, I think it's fair to speculate that those that haven't reached that age will have the opportunity to do so in heaven. In fact, um, I think something that Randy Alcorn argues pretty passionately about in his, his uh, theological text called Heaven um, is the opportunity um, in heaven to recapture uh, missed opportunities. And so one of the things that he would speculate, and there's no way to know till we get there, but it, just the possibility could give us great comfort. One of the things that he suggests is um, that those of us that have missed out on the opportunity to see our children grow up and to raise our children might very well reclaim that opportunity on the new earth. And you're like, well, you know, then they'll miss out. They'll be, well, no, 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 they're going to grow and they'll get to this point and, and then they'll have forever to be that age. But at least there's speculation that that could be true. Either way, um, will be optimal, Okay. But I think there's some comfort in knowing that there's at least a possibility, those of you that have lost children, whether it's miscarriage, stillbirth, SIDS, or any time in their childhood, you know, uh, I think there's a strong possibility that, that, that we'll be able to reclaim those lost moments. I think that's a fair guess based on scripture. More questions. We've got, will we eat and drink? Yes, you'll eat and drink. Scripture can't be more clear about this. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, this is Jesus talking, my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. In Luke 22, Jesus is clearly talking about what's next. Not this life, but what's eternal. And he says, I, I give you, I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the new kingdom. So yes, we'll eat, we'll drink, we'll have physical needs. The needs will always be met. We'll never go without, right? We've talked about that a little bit. The reason we get a little nervous when we say we'll eat and drink is because we're used to there being scarcity. That won't be the case. 
unless you really love ramen noodles. You'll never be so desperate in the new earth that you have to settle for ramen. At my house, there are times when the kids are that desperate. We look through the cupboards. We're either making stuffing or we're having ramen. That won't be the case. You'll eat and drink in abundance. And you know what? It'll be better than the best thing you've ever had. I mean, think about your best meal. I can tell you exactly what Carrie's thinking about. She's thinking about a bite of steak that wasn't even hers, that Jordan Truex let her have at the Ox Yoke Inn. She wants to go. She's like, I got to get back there. I got to have it again. Okay, like you convinced me. We're going to go buy steak. But that's what she's thinking of. It pales in comparison to every bite you'll take in the new earth. Why? Because your taste buds have never been right. They've been broken since the fall. Your taste buds have never been right. And food, plants, trees, never has it been right because it's all been broken by the fall. I was telling... uh, uh, Kevin and Deb this this morning as we were praying before the service. By the way, we always pray before the service in that room at 8.30 and anyone is welcome. We pray for the service. We pray for um, other people in the community. We pray for churches. We pray for any number of things. Uh, this morning we prayed We prayed uh, for the you know, government issues uh, regarding the shutdown. I mean, we always pray. Everybody that wants to, anybody that wants to is invited and encouraged to join us for prayer at 8.30. It's not closed. It's open. Okay? But, but as we prayed this morning and we finished up, I was telling them that one of the things in all of the studying that I've figured out is one of the first things that I want to do when I get to heaven with my redeemed taste buds and all of the redeemed um, vegetation. I've never had a cup of coffee the way God intended me to have it. That, I, like, this is good. but I've never had that the way God intended me to have that. Some of you are like, well, there won't be coffee in heaven. Sure there will. It's a tree. It's a bean. It's a plant. It's what God provided for us. I'm looking forward to it. Some people ask questions about meat. Will there be meat in heaven? Um, Again, I, I can't answer that for sure. What I can tell you is I can't see how. I can't see how, because what we read is that there will be no death. That death of any kind is a result of sin. God will conquer sin and evil and wrong. Therefore, there will be no more death or decay. We read that in Revelation 21. Without death and decay, I can't imagine um, that we will eat meat. Unless God has something planned that I don't know about. Right? Uh, Perhaps there's another way for us to have meat in heaven. Perhaps there's a meat substitute that tastes better than anything I've ever had here. I don't know. Maybe there's a bacon tree. (laughs) I don't know. But here's what I know. I know that I won't miss it. Some of you you are are like meatitarians. You smoke everything. You're always on the grill. It's great. Hey, I like it too. If you get to eat meat in heaven, it'll be better than you've ever had. If you don't, here's what I promise you, you won't miss it because everything at your disposal will be delicious and wonderful and good and it'll be right. Okay. Will we have emotions and desires? 
Uh, sure you will. We, we, we read that in Revelation 6. Revelation 6.10, clearly talking about saints that have passed, the martyrs, said they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they've done to us? And so there is a very strong emotion there coming from those that have already died. Yes, we'll have emotions and desires in heaven. There's no doubt about it. Here's how I know. God has emotions and desires. Right? I mean... God is said to enjoy, to love, to laugh, to be angry, happy, glad, and, and we're made in his image, right? Sometimes we want to be careful. We're like, well, we put too much of us on, we, we make God in our image, and we think about God, no, 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 but we're made in his image, and God clearly in scripture has strong desires and emotions, and we will also have strong desires and emotions in heaven. And let's be honest. That scares some of you. Because for some of you, your emotions and your desires are out of control. For some of you, your emotions are out of control. You can't regulate for some of you, your desires are unholy and they're wrong. I mean, we know that. I know that. You know that. Sometimes, even though I have my desires mostly under control, sometimes my desires are unholy and they're wrong. And so we, we have this tension. And so we, we, we think, oh, in heaven, we won't have any desires. We won't have that stuff. It won't, it won't be there because we can't imagine having emotions and desires and having them under control. But we absolutely will. We absolutely will. We, we joked about the Vikings game earlier. But you, you, you know, how many of you watched the end of that game? How many of you celebrated loudly? I don't like the Vikings. As a Bears fan, I am trained to dislike anything NFC Central, NFC North, anything. It's all bad. Except for the Bears. I don't like them. But I still yelled and celebrated at the TV because it was an exciting thing. I remember the last out of the World Series, 2016. Mike Montgomery pitching, ground ball to Bryant, bobbled it a little bit, but had it under control. Not a problem at all. Third out, Anthony Rizzo stuffs the ball in his back pocket. Everybody celebrates. It was good times. I remember the intensity that I felt at that. Guys, that emotional intensity, that desire, that joy, that unadulterated, it doesn't get better than this feeling. I mean, at my wedding and when my kids were born, that's what I should have gone with. <laughs> it's my bad. That's the kind of emotional, intense joy. That's the kind of desire. That's the kind of passion that you are going to live with 24-7. It's never going to dissipate. It's not going to wane. That is yours for eternity in this new earth, in these resurrected bodies. Yes, you'll have emotion and desire. And yes, it'll be regulated the way it should be. And yes, it'll be awesome. It won't get better than that. It's as good as it can be. It's as good as you could even stand it. Lucy, in the book, uh, 
the, the, the last battle, the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, experiencing the new earth, the new Narnia, uh, makes the comment, um, she's like, I get the feeling that this is the kind of country where everything's allowed. And that's the reality. In heaven, because your desires will be pure, everything will be allowed. What you should do will at last be identical with what you will do and what you'll want to do. Augustine said it this way, in heaven, you will love God and you will do whatever you please. Because whatever you please will honor and glorify God. Because sin is not an option in heaven. Very quickly, I want to tell you this one thing. Sin is not an option in heaven because it's not plausible. Adam and Eve lived in perfection and they fell in sin. You will not. We will not. Because we have something now that Adam and Eve never had, and we will have it in fullness, in perfection in the new earth, and it is the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might in exchange become the righteousness of God. Paul's conundrum, you know Paul who says, cursed I am because I don't do the things I want to do and I keep doing the things I don't want to do, Paul's conundrum is solved in his resurrection state in the new earth because everything he desires will be based in the righteousness of Christ. He will have the freedom to do whatever he wants and whatever he does will honor and glorify the God of the universe. It'll be worship. You know how some people have told you, well, in heaven you'll always worship God and so in our minds we think, it's, oh, it's a 24-7 church service. It's church that never ends, and we think, well, that's got to be boring. I can't look forward to heaven. No, no. Here's how it works. You will worship God in everything you do because everything you do is a natural desire that God has put in you with no wrong to it. So everything you do, whatever you please, will worship God. So it will be a 24-7 worship service, but it won't be like this. It'll be you out there exploring, experimenting, doing everything that your heart desires because the righteousness of Christ will compel you to do only that which honors God. And it'll be wonderful, and it'll be right. Sin will have no place. Brokenness will have no place. Everything will be right. Last thing I'm going to say is this. That's not, yep, it's too close. Last thing I'm going to say is this. The reason we talk about this all is because I just need you to remember this. So let, let me just tell you. In heaven, as a reminder, I will be Matt Hans without the bad parts forever. I will be physically perfect I will be pleasing to God, pleasing to those around me, and I will be pleasing to myself. I will have passions and desires that make my passions and desires now seem small and insignificant. I will explore and I will adventure and I will do all kinds of things. And everything that I do will please and honor God. It does literally not get better. And here's what I want for you. I want that reality of your eternity to compel you to waste yourself in this life. Don't show up at the end with anything 
left. Don't get to the end of this life with more in the tank. You won't need it. Pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel. Waste yourself. Nothing left. And when it's hard, picture what's to come. When it's daunting, remember how good it will be. When you're scared, when you're scared, just think about what God has prepared for you. I told you a long time ago that one of the things that confuses me the most when it comes to end-of-the-life issues, end-of-life issues and, and, and people wanting to hold on, people wanting to just, I, I just got to hold on to life no matter what. I got to do things that are, that are, that are, that are painful and I got to do whatever I can to eke one more month or one more day or one more thing out of life. You know, one of the, the groups of people that are worst at that, that, that will hang on no matter what, no matter what the quality of their life is, they'll just grab hold and not let go, Christians. And it baffles my mind. But if you just think about what's next and you pour yourself out for the sake, you have nothing to be afraid of. Everything coming is good and right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. Uh, this will be a time we collect the morning's offering. Uh, if you're visiting with us, this would be a great time for you to put that slip in the offering plate as it goes by. Um, and uh, make sure you stop at the Welcome Center. While we do this, while we are collecting offering, we're going to have a, a little video testimony, and we're going to hear uh, from Janet Romig, and she's going to uh, tell us about her small group experience last semester. And, and as a reminder, if you haven't signed up yet, uh, please do so. If you have signed up, um, I, I want to thank you for that, because part of your participation helps um, other people who are unsure and uneasy as they get plugged in and grow um, like Janet has. So... Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much. We thank you for the truth of heaven. We thank you for the reality that you are a good God that loves us and cares for us. We thank you that you um, have given us life, but that you have created us for something so much better, something we can't even begin to wrap our heads around. And, and even just these little things that we talk about, um, God, to get us excited and to help us understand, they pale in comparison to what it will really be. And so we thank you for that truth, and God, we just, uh, we love you and we praise you. We ask you to take this offering that we're about to collect, that you multiply it, that you use it, um, that, uh, that through it we can reach more people with the gospel, that we can be ambassadors of grace, that we can bring light where there's darkness. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.